0: Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all you mamas from me. And uh, I'm in a position where (laughs) ominous music playing is happening. Happy Mother's Day. Dun, dun, dun. I'm in a position where I get to uh, say thank you and, and publicly honor my mother. And so. I want to do that because she is here with us, part of this church body. And i got to say, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be here. And I don't just mean that biologically. I mean, I literally wouldn't be here on this stage behind this podium. I'm the product of a praying mama. And there was a a time in my life where uh, it looked iffy as to how I was going to turn out. And um, I believe her prayers and her faithfulness... um, And her faith, yeah, I mean, just is one of the reasons why um, I get to be your pastor. And so uh, thank her for me, too. I mean, she was awesome. (laughs) Those of you who know her know what an awesome lady she is. And I got to tell you, the way that you know her was the same way that she was at home all I was growing up. So I'm Dang, I thought I was going to get through it without cracking <laughs> I'm blessed. All right, Romans 13. If you have your Bibles, let's go there again. Last week, we didn't actually get into the text here because I felt the need to address the wall that a lot of us build up that um, we hide behind that keeps us from being able to receive the amazing love that God has for us. Um, from Romans 12 on, Paul is telling us how to extend that love that we have from God to others. And I said that if we can't receive God's love for ourselves, then there's no way we're going to be able to extend that love To others the way that he wants us to and so we took care of that last week before we moved on in this and I really hope and my prayer was that God spoke to a lot of you in that and you were able to grasp his love for you just a little bit more and begin tearing down those walls that are built on so many lies. Today we're really only going to be looking at verse 8 but we're going to start the reading with verse 7 because I believe that Everything in verse, the things that we're going to see in verse 7 have everything to do with what Paul is saying in 8. So, like we always do, let us stand together in honor of God's word as we read Romans 13, starting in verse 7. It says, Render to all what is due them tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled. The law. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, your word is so powerful and so true. No matter how short the text is, and uh, God, I pray that the power contained in these words that we just read, Lord, would penetrate down deep into our hearts and would renew our minds. And uh, God, I just pray through your Holy Spirit, you would give us a revelation of truth that changes our perspective. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. The title of this message is An Unlikely Place for Love. And I titled it that because we're going to be looking at an area of life this morning that one wouldn't normally associate with love. The truth is, for those who have been transformed by the salvation power of Jesus, everything that we do should be dripping with love. Everything that we touch, that our hand is put to, should should be touched with love. Why is that? Because everything that Jesus did was dripping with love. Everything that he touched was touched with love. And he is the one that we follow. And he is whom our lives are being molded into the image of. Apart from Christ, everything we do and everything we touch is sin. I've talked about before. Um, How even the, quote, good things and the good deeds that we do, if we're doing them apart from salvation, outside of the grace of Jesus, even those good things are absolutely sin before a holy God. It affects everything that we do, everything we touch. We can't get rid of it. But when Jesus saves you and transforms you, then now the exact opposite is, is going on or is available to be going on instead of everything that we touch being affected by sin now everything that we touch should be affected by love i mean love is not something that we compartmentalize and hold back just for certain situations and certain people it should be oozing out of us to where it absolutely affects Everything, even the things that people wouldn't normally associate with having anything to do with love. In the last half of Romans 12, Paul begins to describe uh, this radical love that is now in us, how it should look going out from us and where it should be directed. And he said things like, Bless those who persecute you, and associate with the lowly, and never take your own revenge, and other exhortations that. That just don't happen naturally. Being able to do these things comes from a supernatural source. And then it seems as if Paul shifted gears to start chapter 13. And he takes up our duty to the civil authorities. And so we spent two weeks looking at the role of government and what our response to government as Christians should be. And now in verse 8 he picks up the love theme again. Or is that an accurate way to say it? Does Paul return to the theme of love? I mean, if he does, then that means that he would have to have left it. Are the first seven verses of chapter 13 a momentary detour from love to talk about government for a little bit? I don't believe that it is. I believe that Paul is saying that our submission to the civil authorities is also an expression of the love that we have in Jesus Christ. Now that right there would seem an unlikely place for love to a lot of folks especially to those of us who allow ourselves to get so caught up in the political drama that goes on in our country. I mean, many Christians today, when it comes to government and politics, are expressing pretty much anything and everything but love. And so what Paul is saying is that even in the way that we view and respond to government, love should be all over that just as much as anything else. And then he says in verse 8, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Now let me say first that I want to point out how many people will take this verse, or really just this one phrase in this one verse, as a mandate that Christians should not accumulate any financial debt. They say owe nothing to anyone means that we shouldn't borrow because if we borrow then we owe and we're not supposed to owe anyone according to this verse. I don't have time this morning to go into all the reasons but let me just say that this verse has nothing to do with that. I mean Romans chapter 13 is not a chapter on financial advice. And so to take just one phrase out of one verse and say that's what it's talking about, you're grossly taking something way out of context. If, if verse 8 does mean that we're not supposed to incur financial debt, then what Paul just did here was go, he was talking about love, 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 financial advice, love, love, love. I don't believe Paul had attention deficit disorder. I mean, I don't see any other places where he just goes off script and starts talking about something else in mid-thought, like some people do who I know that, that, that do suffer with ADD. Paul doesn't seem to ever do that. And so what does he mean then when he says, Oh, nothing to anyone. Instead of it meaning that we shouldn't incur debt, I believe it fits the context much better if we interpret it as when you do incur debts, pay them. Just pay them. Do you owe a debt? Pay it. Do you owe taxes? Pay them. Do you owe a car payment? Pay it. Now, whether or not Christians should incur financial debt, I believe that is a valid discussion that we should probably have But it should be done with wider considerations And other texts in the Bible Than Romans thirteen eight. But that lesson is for another day Verse 8 is not mainly about borrowing It is mainly about paying what you do owe um, One way to display our love in Christ Is by paying our debts on time You know what? Jesus paid our debt on time Romans 5 6 says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But that's not the whole statement here of verse 8. It says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Now, what does he mean by that last part? It means that love is the only debt that we can that we cannot pay off and just be done with it. I mean I can pay my taxes and be done, at least for this year. I can pay off my truck and be done. I can pay off my mortgage. Praise God, I am debt-free. I don't have to worry about it anymore. It is now officially mine. But that can't be done with love. Love is an unlimited debt that can never be paid off. We owe love to others no matter how many love payments we make. If you love someone at 10 o'clock, you still are supposed to love them at 11 o'clock. But I believe that there's more to this in what Paul is saying than just that. You see, I don't believe that he is separating two different categories here, as if one category he's talking about paying debts, and another category he's talking about loving others. It would be like, Monday, I sat down and I made sure that all my bills were paid. But then Tuesday, I went out and loved others by helping out with some of the flood victims. I don't believe Paul is separating these two things at all, but he is actually linking these two things together. What he is saying is every debt that you owe, whether it be taxes or your mortgage or a car payment or Honor, let every payment of that debt be an expression of love in the same way that submitting to the civil authorities is an expression of the love that you have in Christ now. In other words, don't make love a special category of behaviors alongside other behaviors. Let all your behavior be love. And this echoes what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians sixteen fourteen. When it just simply said, let all that you do be in love. All means all. Don't let just some of the things you do be in love. Let it all be in love. Even some of the mundane things in life that nobody would ever associate with love. Folks, this is another way that the Christian life stands out against all the other ordinary ways of life in the world. Love is what makes us different. It's not the way we talk that makes us different. It is not our morality that makes us different. It's not our church involvement that makes us different. Love is what sets the Christian apart from everyone else. That is the defining characteristic of a follower of Christ. And it is a love that is expressed even in the most unlikely of places, even in the actions and behaviors that no one would ever in a million years associate with love. Do you owe the IRS a tax payment? Don't just write a check with a, a gloomy, resentful, anxious attitude write it in love do you owe a mortgage payment you behind on your mortgage don't just pay it because you're afraid you're going to get in trouble if you don't pay it on time as a way of expressing the love that you have in Christ and I can tell just by the reactions of some of you now you're like that is the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life preacher you probably never heard very many sermons on paying your taxes with the love of Christ, have you? (laughs) And you may even be thinking, how can I write a check to the IRS in love when I don't even know anybody at the IRS? Well, listen to Paul's definition of love and see if you can apply it to making a tax payment. We've all heard it many times. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient. I believe that any time that we pay a bill or a debt, that we, are, we show that we are full of God's love by whether or not we pay it without envy for other people who don't have to pay what we do, without arrogance, these tax laws are so stupid, and with joy in the truth in being honest about what you report and what you pay. And with a willingness to bear and endure any hardship that may come as a result of you doing it right. And so don't think of love only as something that is actively towards a specific person. You know, we've all heard the saying that love isn't an emotion, it's an action. Well, that's true. But it's also a mindset, an attitude, a a disposition I mean, notice in 1 Corinthians 13 that Paul's description of love, it's all these inner dispositions rather than outward behaviors. It all starts with what's inside, and what's inside can only be affected by and changed by Jesus. The point then of Romans 13, 8 is that these attitudes of the heart, these attitudes, This mindset of 1 Corinthians 13 ought to be there when you submit to the governing authorities, when you pay taxes, when you fulfill your debts and obligations. So in your notes, there are two lessons that I believe are being taught in verse 8. One is that love is an unlimited debt that can never be paid off. And two, every debt that can be paid off should be paid in love. I mean, just think of the ramifications and the effects that that could have on everything else, just a spillover from having that kind of an attitude. I mean, how many times have you sat down to pay your bills, to work on your finances, and it puts you in such a bad mood that it pretty much ruins the rest of the day. Ruins that evening nobody in your house wants to be around you when you see you sitting down with the bills everybody knows to keep a safe distance Because of the mood that it is going to put you in I mean if I sit down and pay my taxes for instance with the attitude, I can't believe this government They are so sorry taking this much money from me. This is ridiculous. We ought to start another revolt over this We need to go throw some tea in the harbor again like when it started all this Or I'm paying my bills and I'm thinking, why is there never enough money at the end of the month? You know what? I'm just going to hold off on paying my mortgage this month so that I can actually have some money to spend on myself. Those fat cats up in those banks can just wait. Now I'm going to have that payment hanging over my head and it's now put me in a bad mood. That's going to cause me to snap at the kids, kick the dog, and just fouls up the whole environment of my house after that. But what happens if I sit down with this attitude? You know, I really don't enjoy paying taxes or doing any of this. But you know, here's some stuff Jesus did that I'm sure that he really didn't enjoy either. And they were a whole lot bigger than just paying bills. God, I thank you that you have provided me an income that requires me to pay taxes on Thank you that I'm in a position to pay taxes to the government instead of having to rely on the government to support me. I'm going to pay this as an act of praise and worship to you. I'm going to do it with the attitude of love that you have infused in my heart because of what Jesus did on the cross. I mean, think about how that attitude would then affect your household probably be more inclined to go out and play with the kids rather than sit in front of the TV the rest of the evening just sulking and stewing. And here's another thing about this. Some of you are going to go home, and at some point you're going to look at your bills. You're going to be reminded about that huge mountain of debt that stands in front of you that you can't seem to climb over, and you're going to remember this message this morning, and you're going to feel really annoyed. (laughs) You're going to go, I know Jason said I should look at all this in love and have a better attitude, but I just can't. That's okay. I'm not asking you to to fake something and and act like something that's, that's not there. You can't produce that on your own. And so now you've got to go to the source. You are now in a position where you're a force to, if you are going to do that, You got to run to Jesus. You got to hit your knees. You're going to have to preach the gospel to yourself and remind you of what Jesus went through to express his love for you that he has now put. In you. And so now you have the opportunity to have your mind renewed by exposing it to Christ's exalting truth, like we talked about at the beginnings of Romans 12. And listen if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you have the fullness of His love inside of you and so it is not a matter of hoping for something that you think you don't have or asking God for something that you think you don't have it is about trusting what his word says and believing that his word is true and that you have it and then just walking in what he says that you have if you have him you have everything that comes with him So now, when you trust that and you just start walking in it based on faith, then you're just drawn drawn closer to Him. I want to show you something that happened with Jesus, just in in case you think that I'm crazy about talking this way. I'll just show you that I'm in pretty good company. (laughs) Turn over to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, I'll wait a second, once the rustling starts dying down a little bit, so i know you're there, Bible drill, Matthew 17 starting in verse 24, when they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax, and he said, yes, and when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? When Peter said, from strangers, Jesus said to him, then the sons are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook. And take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and for me. Now this tax here wasn't one of the many taxes that was imposed on them by Rome. This was strictly a Jewish thing that they had had long before Rome ever took over them. It was a religious tax that they collected to help with the expenses and the the upkeep of the temple. And I just love this analogy that Jesus uses here with Peter. He asked him if kings on earth, if they collect taxes from their sons or from strangers... And Peter gave the obvious answer, well, they don't collect taxes from their own sons. They collect them from strangers. And the sons of the king are exempt from taxes. Why is that? Well, the tax usually then in most kingdoms on earth was usually collected to increase the wealth of the kingdom. And the sons were heirs to that wealth. They were the benefactors of all the wealth of the kingdom. And so it would be kind of be silly to ask them to pay into something that was theirs anyway. It wouldn't be right to collect from them for something that was intended to be for them. They weren't meant to pay to the kingdom, but to receive the benefits of it. This temple tax was collected so that the people could worship God properly. The tax was collected for what was intended ultimately to go to God. Jesus wasn't just God's son. He was God himself in the flesh. He wasn't meant to give to the temple, but meant to receive the worship from it. And so Jesus could have, and he had every right to claim an exemption for paying this temple tax. He could have gone to the collectors and explained to them that he didn't have to pay it because ultimately it was for him anyway. But this would have caused all kinds of controversy and chaos that apparently Jesus didn't think it was the right time for. He could have given them a whole list of reasons of why he shouldn't have to pay it, but he didn't. He just went ahead and paid it anyway. And Jesus was doing what Paul said back in Romans 12, 18, when he said, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. It was possible for Jesus to maintain the peace in this instance, rather than causing a commotion. And so he went ahead and paid the tax, even though he had every right to refuse to. One of the things I always say that we need to ask ourselves when we read anything in the Bible is what do I need to repent of? And I got to tell you that studying this message or studying this text while I was preparing this message, um, parts of it were, were pretty, un, pretty painful. The Holy Spirit convicted me and revealed The condition of my heart in lots of ways when it comes to this issue. You know it's so easy to be influenced by the culture around us and we tend to get caught up in all the rhetoric and the high emotion of these political issues and most of the times it seems that we act more like our or earthly culture around us than we do the spiritual culture that we really belong to. We are smack dab in the middle of an independent-minded, Texan, anti-government, anti-tax culture. And I have to admit that in many ways, I've, I've conformed to that culture Probably more so than I've conformed to the culture of the kingdom. I've been outspoken and I've cursed the government authorities for their insane policies and demands. And the truth is, as an American, I have every right to do that because that is one of the freedoms that we can enjoy in this country have ever right to give a list of grievances of why I shouldn't have to submit to some of these outrageous things or pay some of these insane taxes. And I believe that sometimes we may feel that if we aren't being vocal about it, like everyone else, then we aren't really being true to our culture. But here's the main takeaway that I want you to get from this message today, and it's what really jumped out at me. And open my eyes to some things. And that is this it's the last thing in your notes. As followers of Christ, grafted into God's family, we belong to a different culture and a different kingdom that operates by different principles. We're different. Where the kingdom of this world says, attack your enemies, ours says, love them. Where this earthly culture says that the main goal is the pursuit of happiness and success, ours says the main goal is the pursuit of Christ. In the fullness of satisfaction and joy that is found in him, where this culture may say, Revolt and rebel against all the unfair taxes and policies of this earthly government, ours says, Pay them in love. That's radical. In a lot of ways, you can say, that is insane, that is crazy. But folks, we are not called to blend into the culture, but to stand out from it. The Bible says that we are a peculiar people, and that does not mean that we act goofy. It means that we do things and we respond to things in ways that are not normal for for everybody else. We stand out. Now, make no mistake, though, in no way am I saying that we are called to be a bunch of sissies that just roll over for everybody else. On the contrary, we are called as followers of Christ to be strong, to take a stand, and to fight. But only for things that actually have an impact on eternity. Things that matter in light of eternity. Folks, you and I are, gay, are engaged in a war. Every day we are called to fight this war. And it is a war over the souls of men and women. And if we are going to be faithful to that call, and we are going to be effective in that fight, then we've got to be wise about all the other fights that go on that we are tempted to engage in. That can easily get us off mission. Belonging to a different kingdom doesn't mean that we don't have to obey this one. It means that we are free to submit to it, knowing that it's only temporary, because there's something greater that lies ahead. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus didn't have to submit to any authority here on earth. He didn't have to submit to the religious authorities. He didn't have to submit to the authority of Rome. Are you kidding me? He made them. You don't have to submit to something that you created. That's crazy. I mean, he rules over it all. But he did submit to it because he knew that by doing so, something greater was going to come out of it. And so as people who belong to the kingdom that does reign over all others, we should have the attitude of, yeah, I'll pay your ridiculous taxes. I'll obey your laws as long as they don't cause me to disobey God's. Because to tell you the truth, they really mean nothing in light of eternity, and that is what I am set on. That's where my mindset and my mission is focused on. I belong to a different kingdom that's ruled and reigned by love. And I'm going to do all I can to express that love, the love of my king, in everything that I do. I think people might take notice of that. I think so I think some good things could come out of it too Let's pray God I'm just amazed Constantly it seems Every time I open up your word Of just what it means to Belong to you God, I don't think we have even begun to grasp just the reality of just how big this is, of what we have been made and what we have access to, and the power that has been placed in us by your grace and mercy. God, a lot of times I think we really don't get it when it says that we belong to a different kingdom. We don't get it when it says that things like we are to be in the world but not of the world. Lord, would you open our eyes to the reality of this situation. And these are not just Sunday school phrases or things that we say on Sunday morning at church. But this is an everyday way of life that you have brought us into now. God, I pray that you would give us a kingdom perspective, that we would be kingdom people, not of this earthly kingdom, but of the one that we have given access to with the precious blood of your Son. Lord, I pray that the magnificence of what you have done in Jesus would make all the other things in this world that we get so wrapped up in just seem so petty and as temporary as they really are and not as scary as we make them out to be for we don't have to wring our hands and worry about how things are going to turn out because we belong to a kingdom that rules over all earthly kingdoms and we don't have to fear because we are in the hands of a loving Father. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to come and just open our eyes to the reality of what our salvation means, the reality of what it means to be called sons and daughters of the King. And just the goodness of that would cause our interest in the things of this world to fade away I thank you for your grace and mercy that allows us to be a part of this that allows us to be different enables us to be in this world but not of it thank you for calling us to this higher life in Jesus name amen as we close in worship just encourage you to just search your heart and see what it is the Lord is trying to tell you through this. Of course, like every Sunday, if there's something that you need prayer for, we'll have leaders of the church and their wives down here on the front rows to pray with you. If you need one of us to do that, let's just take advantage of this time together and minister to one another and allow the Lord to minister to us So let's all stand as we worship him.